the guy who wrote uh, Here's Robes for Mine, he has a new book out. It's called Theology That Sticks, a book from a songwriter. You get the how that works? It brings true theology and it makes it stick in your mind. I've heard kids singing it day in and day out. Praise the Lord for that. One issue with this song is there's not an actual fountain of blood in heaven. Okay, that's, that is a metaphor. And uh, it's Christ's death that gave us freedom from sin. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them with me, if you would please, and turn to turn to the book of Romans chapter 14, 15, sorry, chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. Well, do you notice there's only a page and a half um, of Paul's writing to the Romans? And uh, I'm going to grab this book because I will forget it and then I'm in trouble. <clears throat> what is being taught here in this text contextually, Romans chapter 15, is this. Verses 7 through 13 is where we preached partway through last week. And what is going on is this the Romans that he is writing to include both Jews and Gentiles who come from different traditions. How many understand that? And they are butting heads. And at the end of the book, and at the beginning of the book, that's why Bob read chapter 3, because at the beginning of the book, he's saying the same thing. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, both Jews and Gentiles. He came to bring salvation to the world. Amen? Absolutely. Now, what what we talked about last week was, and that's the context of it. The context is, hey, listen, Jewish friends, I'm telling you this, because I'm a Jew. This is what Paul's saying. The Gentiles were prophesied, even in the Old Testament, that they would partake in some aspects of the promises. Some aspects. Not all of them. He's very clear about that. And I would, I would argue that it's the spiritual aspects he's talking about. The Holy Spirit writing the Word in your heart. Those types of things. The practical hands-on kingdom are not here yet. But they're coming. They're coming. Matter of fact, so that being said, the context is about Paul telling the Jews, listen, relax, it's in your text that you're reading that the Gentiles were going to be saved also. So, Start learning how to get along with them. 
In America today, you could say that would be the case of a lot of things. How does that, how does that impact us today? Well, here's the reality. There are people here that come from a Pentecostal background. There are people here that come from a Roman Catholic background or tradition. There are people here that come from an absolutely atheistic background maybe or, or, or cultic background. I have no idea, but there are multiple people with backgrounds of traditions that are not biblical. How do we deal with one another? Love, help, and encourage each other. And your whole basis is not what I know from the past, but what He says now. Amen? Our traditions do not dictate our lives. The Word must dictate our lives. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them. He brings them, he's not gonna, he, he brings them right back to the Word. Listen guys, it's in your prophecies that Gentiles, those that are not of the circumcision, will be saved also. So, get over it. Love each other. That's the context. That being the context, we are, start lear we are learning other things about that then, right? So the Gentiles are being partakers within the salvatory promises given by God. How many would say amen to that? Amen, praise the Lord, and it was talked about in the Old Testament. What isn't talked about here but needs to be understood is, and this is what happens if you were to go to most, almost, I would say 80% of the commentaries, you will read this comment. This Gentiles being saved is a total fulfillment of the eschatological truths given to Israel. That is a step too far. That's not what it is. I will tell you this. In a sense, salvation given to the Gentiles is a confirmation or a down payment of what eventually Jews are going to, it will be fulfilled to them as it says in Romans chapter 11. Something unbelievable, out of this world, perfect. Amen. It is not the fulfillment. Confirmation would be a better term because fulfillment means all of it. All of it's not fulfilled. Now, that being said, I want to tell you this. This book, I want to encourage you, if you do not have any idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> I would encourage you to get this book. This book, by the way, we put, I put my name on it because this book goes to somebody in here to, to read, and so you can't have this. <laughs> it's already designated for Brock, actually. So, Brock, don't forget this, because I would. So here it is. But here's why it's important. This book gets it extremely simple and explains what... We're talking about, what are we talking about? The reality is, the church has not, nor will ever replace Israel as the first peoples of God. Never happened. They were and are the first peoples of God, and God promised them some things that He did not promise to the Gentiles. There is some similarities between the old and the new, or continuities, but then there are also some discontinuities. Both are true. This is a great start 
to understanding, and I'm going to call it this, what is it in the world today that people are so offended about when they call people that don't like other ethnicities what? Something phobic. What is it called? When, when we have a, an angst against another ethnicity. Is it xenophobic? I don't know. Is that what it is? Okay. There's a word term. I'm not into the phobic stuff. I have no idea. But I will tell you this. Being above and beyond and separate and having a bad attitude or dislike or a non-loving attitude towards other ethnicity is not of Scripture at all. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's unbiblical. Now, we don't make... Anyways, I'm not going to get into politics. <laughs> okay, sorry. And that's what has happened. I will get that. Thank you. And that's what has happened in 100 AD, even before John, or right at the death of John, the writer of Revelation. Immediately, the Gentiles started hating the Jews. They think it was, their, it was the Jews that crucified Christ and the Jews only, and they're responsible. Now, is there somewhat of a truth that the Jews did crucify Christ? But isn't there also truth that is actually the Romans that did it? And to be honest, isn't it true that we all put Christ on that cross? We just sang about that. We cannot disparage, downgrade, and hate the Jews for the death of Christ. And yet, as early as 100 A.D., early church fathers were already dispurging the Jews and replacing them with the church. And so we have a thousand, two thousand years tradition of this. This will help understand that the church in Israel, although they have similarities, are different also. Amen. It's called dispensationalism, essential beliefs, so it's just the basics, and common myths by Michael Vlock. How many have ever heard of Michael Vlock? This is an excellent, excellent, very inexpensive book. Uh, actually, Michael Vlock is a, um, many of you know Peter Gaiman? I hope. <laughs> that would be you would know Tim Gaiman. <laughs> That's Tim and Julie's son. Is a fellow professor with Michael. Michael has his PhD. Um, I don't know exactly where he has his PhD in, but I will tell you what, he is the guy on understanding the difference between Israel and the church today. He has a plethora of books. This is the foundation one you need to get. All right? All right, Brock, once you, uh, let's see, I'm going to have, yeah, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'll embarrass Bob. <laughs> All right, now, back to our text, because our text is, what is the text talking about, right? What is the author's intent? Verse 7, therefore, accept one another, accept one another, accept who? Those that come from different traditions. Those that don't maybe look like us. Except everybody. Everybody. How many remember the song? Um, 
red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen? There's truth to that song. A church is to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, um, um, multi-gender too. All right? All of that. That's what a church is to be, and we're all together in Christ. That's why he said there's neither male nor female. We are all together in this. And that's why he says, accept one another. And how are we to accept one another? Just like Christ accepted us. If we have too high of a view for us, that's not a big deal. But if we are in reality, there is no reason, logically, Christ should or would accept us. None. We are sinners and enemies of God. But He did. And therefore, we should be the same as Christ was in accepting and loving one another. Amen. So, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God. In other words, listen folks, God has given the circumcised. Who are they? The Jewish people. He's given the Jewish people truth. And now he is going, now he has, as of this date of this writing, he has confirmed that truth because there is now the church, and the church is made up of both Jew and Gentiles. Part of the eschatological promises given to the Jews are now fulfilled within the church. How? Do you know that once you were saved, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Permanent. The Old Testament, He came and went. Wasn't anything like it is today. Unfortunately, I had a professor to tell me, he's going to come and yell at me now. He said, if you ever preach that, I will come and yell. And he told the whole class. I will yell and get in your face and, and, and yell at you. Well, I chose a different professor. <laughs> this guy's name's Larry Pettigrew. Larry Pettigrew, who has written the book on the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to get that book because it goes through all of the passages in Scripture that deal with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, it's fantastic. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Roman, Ephesians chapter 1. He has sealed you, amen, with a down payment that heaven's on its way. Praise God. We have been sealed. We have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. That the truth, the, the, the eschatological truths of God and look at the term, verse 8. How many, you know, I, I did not do this and I should have done that this week, but for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to what? The NASB has confirmed. What do you have? Confirm. King James, what does that have? Confirm. Is there any translation that has fulfilled? 
I think they've done a good job. It is confirmed. It confirms the promises given to the fathers. Who are the fathers? Who are those fathers? What's that? Ancestors of the Jews called the what? What are they called? The stars of the P. Patriarchs. It's the patriarchs. And for the Gentiles, to glory for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, He says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got through all the way down to verse 8, basically, and we've talked about that. Now we'll continue with verse 9 and following and prayerfully be able to close this passage up for uh, our studies. So, verse 8 and 9 talks about how the Gentiles are are about Noah's mercy. They are glorify God in His mercy. And the Jews, they are are glorifying God, if you will, quote-unquote, of the promises. I will tell you this. God is faithful. And that's exactly what he's talking about with the Jews here. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, which is what exactly what Bob pre, or read today. The Bible says, May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. That God is said to be true. He is said to be faithful in order that He might confirm the promises of the fathers. On behalf of God's truth. Confirm. It's a legal term. It has the idea that something is going to be fulfilled. And I would, I would argue it this way. It has the idea that, listen, you are guaranteed it will be fulfilled. It's just not totally fulfilled yet. Nobody understand what I'm talking about. I feel like... I might be going over some people's heads. The reality, how many understand it? Nobody? The reality is, God gave Israel, and I talked about this last week, land promises that He never promised the church. Those promises eventually will be fulfilled. It's interesting, today there's this, when when when. When the uh, pilgrims, how many remember what pilgrims were? When the pilgrims came from England and Amsterdam and settled in America, they brought this with them. This is the eschatology they brought with them. Eschatology is the study of end times. The eschatology they brought with them is, we are going to establish the kingdom of God here. We're going to bring it in. We're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord, they believe in a literal kingdom of God. Amen? But they believed that the church was supposed to do that. Before, in historical age, there's a, so that, that's called post-millennialism. Jesus will come after the millennial. 
millennial. I don't even know how he rules and reigns. They take it symbolically that the, he rule and reigns within and through the church. So in other words, and this is why I say it, the church has replaced Jesus in a sense. The Bible says Jesus will come down from heaven to the Mount of Olives and step on the Mount of Olives. And then he will judge the earth. Then after the judgment, it talks about two are in the field. One is taken, one is left behind. How many remember that? Many Christians inappropriately, untheologically, and just flat out wrongly, did I make it clear, believe that's talking about the rapture of the church. It is not talking about the rapture of the church. That is going right back to Matthew chapter 13 where he talks about getting the net full of fish. What does he do? He takes the bad ones and throws them out. The tares and the wheat. What does he do? He takes the bad ones and throws them out. What is he going to do with the judgment? He's going to take the wicked and throw them out. And at one time, for one millisecond, the whole world will be saved because all those that are wicked are taken out of the world and thrown into the lake of fire, by the way. So that's the reality. Now, salvation has been promised to the Jews and the Gentiles, but this kingdom of being in Israel, Jerusalem reigns and all that has not happened yet. We read it the first part of last week. All right. I want to get going on the rest of this because we could talk about dispensationalism the rest of our time, and we've done that for about a year in our CEO hour. All right. Now, verse 9 and following. Before that, I'm sorry, I'll get to these other things that are important for the covenant with the fathers from its inception pledged that all nations would receive blessings from God. Will all nations receive blessing for God? They will. The Bible says in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who what? Bless you. And, the, and curse the ones that curse you. And in, all, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Who is the you talking about there? Israel. It's talking about the Jewish people. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How will the world be blessed? Israel. Who, brought, who did Israel bring into this world, in a sense? Christ. Are, is all the world blessed because of Christ? Absolutely. In your seed, Genesis chapter 22, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because they have obeyed my voice. I will multiply their descendants as the stars of heaven and your descendants as the lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Israel was promised to be the deliverer, if you will, of the world. And in one sense, the church has despised it and hates it. 
Did you know that Martin Luther, I respect him in many things that he has done. Salvation by grace through faith. But on the church that he pastored, there was a pig carved into the brick wall of his church. Symbolizing the Jews and what he thought of them. Why? They killed Christ. The church now has replaced them. Oh, let me draw your attention back to Romans chapter 9 through 11, which we did last week. They, Israel, became proud in their being the peoples of God. So I, in essence, let them fall away. Watch out, Gentiles, or the church, lest you become proud. Saying the same thing. I will tell you, in that, abs in that instance in Martin Luther's life, he was proud, arrogant, and wrong. <clears throat> so this is the confirmation of the promise to the fathers. It's not just to Israel, the saving aspect of it. The saving aspect of it is a, a, a confirmation. Listen, guys, I told you, here's part of it. I'm going to give you more later. How much greater will it be when, the, when Israel realizes its fulfillment? Romans chapter 9 through 11. Christ's purpose in coming then was not to certify the certify was not to fulfill all the promises of the, to the Jews. But it was to confirm these promises are real, to give them a taste of some of it. Some, something like this. The Holy Spirit. How many of you enjoy the Holy Spirit? The convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The encouraging power of the Holy Spirit. That is a down payment. It is a taste of what's going to be a reality. Entire life. Eternal life. The same is going with the Jews here. It's the same thing. Now that they're seeing people saved and seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, it's like, wow. Because what were the Jews looking for? Were they looking for a suffering Savior or a conquering King? They were looking for a conquering King. Why did Thessalonians, why are they waiting for the coming of the Lord? They're waiting for a conquering King. Amen. Jesus will be coming as a conquering king. Just not yet. We know this not only because Scripture talks about it and deals with it and, and dispensationalism promotes it, but there's also another group. Postmillennialists, amillennialists, they believe that we are in the millennial kingdom right now where everything's perfect. I don't even want to go there. <clears throat> the last group I want to talk about, though, was the first group. For over four or five hundred years, there was this group of people called historical premillennialists. They believed that there was going to be a kingdom coming. Amen. But they had the attitude that they hated the Jews. So the difference between a historical premillennialist and a dispensational premillennialist is the hating of the Jews. 
but they believe that He is coming and setting up His kingdom. But that is for the church. That's what they believed. I tell you, there is a kingdom coming. It's going to happen. And it will be for the Jews and the Gentiles will also be able to enjoy it. Because it talks about people from every nation coming in. Praise the Lord for that. Rejoice, O nation, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants. Again, look what the text says here. i got to get my eyes on. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Who's, who's the I? Where does this passage come from? Psalm chapter 18. How many have a how many have a Bible with margins in it? In those margins you will find the verses that these is talking about. Psalm 18:49. It's a couple of them. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. David, as the king, presented corporately the people of Israel. So it's Israel. Israel will give praises among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. They participated in the victories. Let me ask you, when David won a battle and they came into town, was it a parade? Were all the people around and rejoicing and happy? Absolutely. In 1849, this includes David's and the people of Israel. This prophecy of praising the name among the Gentiles, when is that fulfilled? Has it been fulfilled? Let me ask you, are Jews and Gentiles alike praising the Lord within the church? Yes or no? Okay. There are, are there Jews that are saved that are, with, that are part of the church? Yes, so in a certain sense, yes. Let me ask you this. Will there be praise and glory of God in the millennial kingdom also? Will Jews and Gentiles shoulder to shoulder be praising God? Amen. Because they're both peoples of God. And we'll see that here. They're both peoples of God. So some authors say, well, this prophecy is now fulfilled as believing Jews sing among the Gentiles within the church. Well, there's a sense that's true, but there's a greater sense that it's going to happen in a greater way. The millennial kingdom. Because the Gentiles do participate in praising the Lord. Let me ask you, did you participate in praising God this morning in our worship song service? Yes or no? Absolutely. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Laud Him all ye peoples, for His loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord, Psalm 117.2. It's interesting in that text, we find something very interesting. I'll read it again. Follow our text. Remember, there are two things that happen. The Gentiles are praising Lord for His what? Verse 9. His mercy The Jews are praising the Lord for what? His truth. Listen to what it says in Psalm 117. All the nations are to praise Him. Praise the Lord, all nations. 
laud him, all people, for his loving kindness. What is that? His mercy is great towards us, and the truth, faithfulness of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. The connection with Romans chapter 15 is awesome. Using the same words there, for their great, the God's faithfulness and His mercy are conveyed in those terms. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. The Bible says this, Rejoice, O nations, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. It may be significant that that is understood also. It's this verse at the end of Moses' song. Moses had already prophesied in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 that Israel would disobey God and face the curses of the covenant. Let me ask you, did Israel disobey God? Yes. Did they face curses? Does that nullify the one covenant that is non-binding, that is non, uh, that is not two people? It's unif- It's only one. No, the covenant with Israel is based on one covenant between one person. What is the covenant? It's a promise. What is the promise? Promise is like a, 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 a wedding. I will love you in sickness and in health as long as we both shall live. So help me, God. Is a covenant between a husband and wife to remain married and love each other for their entire life before God. That is two people coming in covenant. Can one person break that covenant? Yes. Yes. The covenant with God and Israel was only one person. God caused Abraham to go and take a nap. (laughs) And when Abraham woke up, he saw God in the covenant between the meats that were cut in half saying, I promise Israel this. Guess what? The only way that can be broken is if God is a liar. Because it's a covenant God made basically with Himself. That I will do what I said I will do, so help me God. And He does, and He will. That covenant has to come into fruition. By the way, if it was Abraham's, the covenant with Abraham, what might you call that? <laughs> okay, it's not hard, right? It's not hard. <clears throat> Bible says in our next verse, says again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Therefore, The Bible says in 2 Samuel 22, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. David rejoices because of his victory over the enemies. He subjugated his opponents in the strength God had given him. And yet, let me ask you, were the people of the world hearing the praises of Israel's God? Were they? How many would say Israel 
was a fantastic missionary agency. Let's take a look at Israel because this, here, this, is, a this is a big deal. Israel is going about killing people for what? First of all, because obedience to God. Second of all, look what I get. And Israel became so ingrown with their fleshly lives that the world was nothing. How do we see this? One of the greatest examples of seeing how Israel totally failed in praising God to all the nations. Let me ask, did they fail in praising God to all the nations? There's a, there's a fish story I want to talk about. Right? What's the fish story? This is not story time with Uncle Bill. Jonah and the big fish. By the way, Jonah and the whale is not true. Biblically. Jonah and the great fish. It, Jonah is a perfect example of all of Israel. They didn't want anything to do with the world. They hated the world. They wanted to be secluded all of themselves and have their own little kingdom and let everybody else go to hell. That's the way they lived. So when they're saying, I give thanks to the Lord among the... I give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations and I will sing praises to your name. Many commentators want to go right to, well, look at, they conquered them, and, and that was, they were singing praise, they were singing the Lord's praises to their name. What? They were dead. What does that have to do with it? Let me ask you, when did the Jewish nation, or many Jews, when have they praised the Lord with the Gentiles? Hasn't happened yet hasn't happened yet in a small sense it has happened when the church what had happened in, in by the way there are two revivals that I'm very well aware of in the in the Bible Nehemiah chapter 8 when when Ezra they were building the walls by the way everybody was building the walls they actually the priests got involved and started working with their hands and they built the walls. They found the book. Ezra got up, read the book, gave the sense of the text, and a great revival took place. Amen? Another revival that took place, by the way, you saw the preaching of the Word, Ezra reading the passage of Scripture, giving them the understanding of it. That's called expository preaching. The next revival took place in where? Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. In Pentecost, what happened? They sat in a room saying kumbaya 55 million times and revival took place. Who, what happened, what's the first thing that happened in that revival? Peter stood up and preached the Bible. He preached the Word. The Holy Spirit came upon them and 3,000 souls were saved. Amen? I'm saying that to say this. There is no revival without the preaching of the Word.
Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. So we've got, and, and I, I will sing to you. I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. What does that mean? I rejoice, I will sing to his people. What does that mean? With his people. Do you see how it's written? That's the Old Testament. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. It does not say instead of his people or replacing his people. It says with his people. That's that Deuteronomy passage that I was just reading earlier. Second Sam or Psalm 119, 117. Praise the Lord, all ye nations, all ye nations, that's or all Gentiles. And let all the peoples praise him. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let me ask you, is that happening? Are all Gentiles praising God? No, they are not. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Look at the second, the second phrase, and let all the peoples. What does that tell you? How many would say it's, would it be true to say this, that there are multiple peoples of God? Is that fair from that? I think it's very fair from that because you can go up to the first, first one they, that we, or the second, verse 10, and says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So they certainly, the Jewish people are a peoples of God. And then it says, let the, now, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. I would argue that that's another peoples of God. And then let all the peoples, whoever they are, Jew, Gentile alike, all the peoples of God, rejoice Him. Psalm 117. The next one, and by the way, this is a conglomeration. If you, if you have a, a cross-reference, you can see there are many different passages in all of these verses. There shall come the root of Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, let me ask you, <clears throat> who is the root of Jesse? This is Isaiah 1, 11, verse 10. Okay. Um, David is a shoot, that's for sure. What does that mean, shoot? Off branch, uh, 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 offspring. Who is he talking about here? Christ. Christ, the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles have hope. This is a very difficult passage when trying to understand all what's going on. But I will tell you this, if you believe in a pre, if you're a premillennialist that believes that there is a millennium, this, doesn't, this is easy. Why is it easy? Let me ask you, who 
in the millennium will rule according to the Bible. Christ will rule. He will sit upon whose throne? David's throne. Not God's throne. David's throne. If he's sitting on David's throne, nowhere in the Bible is it talked about anywhere else except for David's thrones on this earth. God's thrones in heaven. But the Bible says that Jesus will sit on David's throne and rule with a rod of iron. Now what people want to say is, covenant theologians want to say, is that rule of iron is happening now. Well, that doesn't work with grace and mercy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness. When you hear of rod of iron ruling, do you think of gentleness? When does that happen? It happens at the millennial kingdom. Here's what I believe what he's trying to say. Listen, we need to love each other. We don't know all their ins and outs. We need to serve each other, love each other. There will be a time when that love is perfect. There will be a time, and it will be the promises given to Israel will be fulfilled. There will be a millennial kingdom, and there will be perfect peace on this earth for a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Amen? But we're not there yet. So, because we're not there yet, what do we do? This idea, this is where that Jesus rules over us is equal to our salvation. That, that's what they're equating. How many get this? Let me ask you, is there a sense where Jesus is our king? There's a sense to that. But man, the way I read Scripture there is not no there is no heavy-handedness with Christ on this turf right now. It's totally different. Isaiah envisions the day when the promises for a transformed world will be fulfilled. I will argue that has not happened yet. And Israel will experience a second exodus. They will, because guess what? All, the Bible talks about all Israel will then come together. They'll come out from every single nation and come back to where? To Jerusalem. He brings them back to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. Amen. He will feed them on the hills of Israel, it talks about. It's fantastic. That has not happened yet. But what people understand it and the way they twist it, if, if you will, is they say this. All of that is allegory and metaphors. And so what he's really talking about is the church and Christ ruling over him now with a rod of iron in the church. The devil being according to the Bible, during the millennial kingdom. How many hate the devil? Amen? How many know that the devil is roaring and seeking who he may devour, according to the text? Absolutely true. Well, according to them, 
He's actually tied to a chain, but it's really long. And if you read Revelation chapter 20, that's just totally opposite of what it says. Folks, nobody gives us the right to reinterpret Scripture as we please. There are passages and allegories in Scripture that we cannot understand. It is not for us to say, that means this. Because you, then, are saying what the Bible says. Let the Bible say it for itself. We have to be very, no one gives us permission to say those things. We had a, a, a guy that used to come to our church, and he was very adamant, I am the new Israel. Well, where do you get that? Well, I'm British, British Israelism is what it was. And, and we can, I, I am the new Israel. I am the new, um, the first peoples of God, and all these promises are given to me. And I, it, listen, you have to allegorize Scripture to get there. You have to say, well, this means that. Who gives us the right to say that? By the way, dispensationalists do the same thing, unfortunately. How many remember when people were saying Obama was the Antichrist? Right? Well, who gives you the right to say that? It's, I understand it was just a joke and all that. But who gives you the right? Some people really believe that. Some people believe that Trump was the Antichrist. People really believe that stuff. Listen, it doesn't say it in the text. Doesn't matter. Shut your mouth. If that's where you're going to... Just shut it. Who cares? Let Scripture say what it says. Now, Israel's kind of mad. They, they see the Holy Spirit working within the Gentiles on Pentecost. And then church after church after church after church... Who are the churches filled with at the beginning? Jewish people. This is it. This is it. Woohoo! We're here. Those promises are fulfilled. Let me ask you, were they? Nope. Within seven, within 30 years, 30, I'm going to say 36, 37 years. Jerusalem was leveled, flattened. If they didn't realize this isn't the total fulfillment at Pentecost, they certainly realized it then. Because there was no longer is there was no longer in Israel. Jerusalem was leveled. The people were slaughtered. Then he says, There shall come a root of Jesus. He will rise to rule over the Gentiles. In Him the Gentiles have hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> what is He trying to tell us with all this eschatological information Jewish promises, Jewish prophecies, a confirmation of the promises. What is he trying to say? I will tell you this. 
I believe he's trying to say what Romans 12, 1 and 2 are saying. Do not be wise in your own conceit. Don't be proud about what you have supposedly accomplished. It's God who does this. How many understand that? It's God. It's His promises. What are we to do? Don't be unaware, brethren, that I wanted to come to you in order, in order to that I might obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I, <laughs> I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. In other words, he says, listen, don't be have an arrogant air about you about ethnicities and traditions. Listen, we are all unsaved, bound for hell people that need a Jesus Christ who can save us. Amen. That's exactly what he's saying. You could say it this way for those of you who are politically motivated. He's saying, listen, I don't care if you're I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent or a communist. You need the Lord. And we all need the Lord. And we need to love each other and serve each other to bring them to the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting involved in politics if it doesn't overtake your responsibility to the Lord. If you can do it within being a true believer, praise God for that. But true change happens when God saves an individual. You want to see a change in this country? Pray for the salvation of our politics. The people in them. Okay, you get that right. They need the Lord. In light of the magnificent, gracious, and sovereign grace what we just sang about, plan of God, disclosed in part in this ancient revelation to Israel, Jews can have no grudge against Gentiles, and Gentiles can have no grudge against Jews. Because our calling is from the same man, Jesus Himself. Amen. The Gentiles can have no grudge against the Jews because it is it was through the Jews that God brought them salvation. The Gent Jews cannot have a grudge against Gentiles because it's their God that said they will be saved. So how shall we live? What is this passage trying to tell us that we should, uh, uh, the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you're, you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? How do we do that? Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We need to accept one another. No matter what color skin, what language doesn't matter. Luke 15 gives us another passage. It's very 
much the same. What man among you, he has a hundred sheep and has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. He was, when he was found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Christ accepts sinners joyfully. But I will tell you this. I just quoted a Gallup poll there was another Barna poll on ethics that was done a couple in 2018 and 2022, oh, 2022 or 23. I think actually it's 2022, the, the um, Gallup poll. But the Gallup poll says basically, in essence, 37% of the people in the world are 30% of Christians, pastors. 37% of them have a good work ethic, have a good ethic about them. They're godly people. 37%. The world looks at the church as some bigot. They do. They, lo they look at the church as haters. Why? Listen very carefully. Because we have become too political and not Christian. Let me ask you, is the gay lifestyle a sin? No question, absolutely yes. Let me ask you, is lying a sin? Absolutely. And let me ask you, why do you treat the gays different than you treat a liar? Fair? It's fair. It's biblical. Listen, folks. The reason they're that way is they don't have the Lord. The reason you hate sin now is because you have the Lord. Before, you used it and loved it. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom Paul says, this is Paul, of whom I am chief. He didn't go to our public school system and get a good self, what do they call that? Self-esteem class. The facts are, we're all sinners bound for hell and need a Lord. Jesus accepts sinners impartially. What does that mean? 
If Adolf Hitler would have repented and believed, would he have been saved? Yeah. We repent and believe and are saved. Recognize who we are, totally lost and in need of a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the one and only Savior. Amen. Jesus accepts sinners for what reason? Ephesians 1 talks about it. Romans 8 talks about it. It's all found here in the text also. Twice, I believe. Once it's said, but twice it's understood. It's all for the glory of God. Amen. When God takes a lying, drunk rebel, and within a week, the booze is destroyed, and he's out talking to people and asking for their forgiveness. How does that ever happen? Christ. Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There is nobody in this world who cannot be saved. I don't care if they're deformed of what we call that. I don't care if they're in the most wicked, horrible sin there is. Nothing is a barrier between their salvation and Christ. Except their own sin. Unfortunately, if we were going to be honest, we Christians do act in an unchristian way many times. We do have a higher view of ourselves and a lower view of others that, than we should. That's exactly what took place here that Paul is addressing. Get our stinking eyes off ourselves and serve everybody else. And when we do that, God is glorified. He's glorified. Does this make sense? Very, in some senses, a very theologically difficult passage. But man, the facts are the facts. God died on the cross to save sinners. And we all identify as sinners. That's one place that every one of us can equally identify as. Amen? We're sinners. Praise the Lord if you're truly born again, you're a sinner saved by grace. Let's stand as we sing and close our message. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. <clears throat> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen. One last thing before we leave. I, I went kind of hard after the Israel in not being being arrogant within themselves and not going out and telling the world to praise their to God. Where it had to take a big fish to get out there to do it, right? That should just do this to our soul. We are that. The church is that. We're comfortable within the bounds behind the building with a cross on it. While the world lays destitute in need of a Savior and you have the answers. In one sense, the world is right. We tend to be bigoty. We're not any better. We're just sinners saved by grace. Mr. Gaiman, can you close? I hope you plan on staying after the service and joining us for a meal together. Uh, before I close in prayer, I also want to acknowledge that uh, Daniel and Tricia Rakumbi-Kumbi have become members of the church, so make sure you uh, congratulate them on that important decision and their uh, increasingly important role here in this church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you uh, for allowing Gentiles to be saved and to have a part in the future as you have promised to Israel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.